Why don't you all lift your hands one more time? Let's worship the Lord. Father, we worship you. And we love you so much. Oh, we just stand in awe of you. And we stand in awe of your goodness, your forgiveness, your mercies, your grace. Oh, we know, Father, without you, we're, we're absolutely zero. We're nothing. We can't do a thing without you. But we're so glad we're not without you. We're in you, Lord Jesus. You're in us. You've made us join to you, one spirit with you. We are your habitation, your dwelling place. Wow. Oh, thank you for your, just your abounding, overflowing goodness and mercies and forgiveness and grace in our lives all the time and pouring out of us into others, pouring out of us into everyone that you're going to use us in ministering to everywhere we go, letting them experience the same glorious blessings and good things from you that we experience every single day. Father, we worship you. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Father, teach us your word tonight. Speak to us just what we need to hear from you tonight, whether I'm teaching on it or not. You know where each of us are spiritually, I don't. Teach us just what we need to hear tonight from you. Oh, let us see into the spirit realm. Reveal things to us that we didn't know. Take the things you've taught us already and make them even more real to us. Greatly increase our faith. We receive that from you. And we give you all the glory for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. May be seated. I know um, it's been probably four or five years ago when I actually called you on the phone because you didn't know me and I didn't know you. And um, I called you on the phone and I, um, I introduced myself to you. We talked for a while and, um, and you said, I, I mentioned, uh, you said you'd been here like about 10 years or so and, uh, at that time. And I, I and I you know I mentioned you know love to come up there and, and meet you guys and minister in your church and 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 you said well brother Dwayne we'd love to have you but you know it just it may just be me and my my wife and children that are in the Sunday morning service and I said uh, I said well pastor I tell you what if you just give us a hotel for Saturday night we'll come up there it's about three and a half hour drive we'll come up there and preach for you Sunday morning and and we can go out to eat lunch and have a little fellowship and there's a pause on the phone. So obviously, he was thinking about that. And then he said, okay, let's do it. So we, we came up, and, uh, and, and we had a great time. We've been coming up, coming ever since. Yeah. Amen. Came up the first time, preached on Sunday morning. And then the next year, I called you. He said, let's do a Sunday morning and Sunday night. Broke some things off me is what you did. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. And we've been, yeah, we've been friends ever, ever since then. So it's, it's, that's why I tell I, and, and the way I work, I mean, Brother Hagan, I consider Brother Kenneth Hagan my spiritual father. And um, I don't charge fees. You know, I really don't like it when somebody, sometimes, sometimes people ask me, how much you charge? You know, it's almost offensive. How much I charge? The gospel's free. I don't see, I, I'm, 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 that's one of my pet peeves, y'all. You know, when, when you, there's a seminar and a lot of great speakers, and you think, oh, I like to go to that, and it says $65 per couple. And I can understand if you're having a dinner or something, that, that's for pay for the dinner. But, but that really, I'm not, I'm not paying to go to, to go to church. I don't see Jesus, you know, at, you know, at, the, at, at, at the Mount of Olives or somewhere, you know, he's got 10,000 people out there, and he says, Peter, go tell them it's $50 per couple, and, and they will give them a discount, you know, if they remember the gold club. But he didn't do any of that stuff. It was all free. And... Uh, and I, and I always tell, I tell pastors, you know, and I don't charge fees. I just ask you, just take up a love offering. 
And I'll say, listen, I'm, I'm a good receiver like the next guy. I, 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 I like it when you add to the offering. I, I, you know, I don't, but I tell the pastor, you don't have to add a thing to the offering. And no matter what comes in, no matter what comes in, I will not be mad. And I'll come back and preach in your church again. And, uh, but then I'll get some pastors that will say, because they, they learn the right way. Because Brother Hagin taught, you know, if Jesus was your guest speaker, how would you treat him? And they'll say, well, I know, I know that, Brother Dwayne, but we won't really want to bless you. And I'll try to say, well, I know that too, and I'm telling you. You know, don't wait, don't wait till you have 5,000 members and you give me $10,000. What if you never get there? What if that takes 20 years to get there? That's 20 years I could have been ministering in their churches. And so, so you know, God's our source anyway. I've been to churches where, you know, I got a lot of money, where I got $75, you know, and, and, and just all kinds of different amounts. It's amazing how, it's just amazing how God works. And I've been to churches that, I mean, very little and got a lot of money. And, and a, lot, a lot of times I got more money in the smaller churches than I did in the bigger churches. I just learned now God's, God's my source. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter what comes in. I'm just gonna, we're, I've been doing this for a long time. And God always makes sure you've got everything you need. So I'm not worrying about a thing. And, um, and I always say I want to build relationships. I mean, we've got, I've got churches I've been preaching at since 1982. And um, I, I like that because I, we feel like part of their family away from home. And it's just, it's, I like going to new churches and meet new people, but I like the churches I, I go to every single year. I like to be one of the guest speakers that come in every year, you know. I'll call pastors and say, well, I don't know, you know, we already have speakers that come in every year for us. And I'll say, I fully understand that, pastor. I like that myself. And, you know, for some reason, the, you know, the God speaks to you and opens up the door, I'd love to be one of those. You just give me a call, let me know. But... Um, I don't believe in, you know, like Brother um, Keith Moore said, faith doesn't put pressure on people. Amen. When you like, especially with offerings, when you're pressuring people, that's not faith at all. If you really have faith in God, it, it, you're, God's your source. You're not going to be under pressure. You don't put pressure on people. Just let, just let, let, let God do what he wants to do. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Y'all got your Bibles? Yeah. Amen. Why don't you get them out and turn over to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And um, this morning, I was, uh, I was teaching some. I have a, a book back there called The Mystery. And it, I, I teach a lot on what I call the mystery. Years ago, when I started teaching on it, I called it Identification with Christ. And, um, and when I teach on the mystery, I'm teaching more, because I teach a lot on what I call uh, on identification with Christ, who you are in Christ. But I bring out the point that the mystery I'm talking about is the mystery that... Um, God revealed to the church through the Apostle Paul. The, the word mystery is in the Bible several different places. But I'm talking about over in Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul said that, that the mystery was revealed to him and he revealed it to, to the church. And the mystery of Christ or the mystery of God, uh, kind of generally speaking, in one sense it's, it's the whole Bible. It's, it's the word of God. Uh, but kind of more specifically, the real, I guess the found, the core of the mystery of Christ is, is the fact that, that Jesus came to this earth, fully represented us, and identified with us so we could be identified with him. And it's all that he suffered for us before he went to the cross and from the cross to the throne. And if you study Paul's letters to the church, because he's the one that God used to reveal this mystery to the church. Yes. Just like God used Moses to reveal the law to Israel in the Old Testament, it's on the same, uh, even, even a, a, a greater uh, level than that. God used Paul to reveal the mystery of Christ to the church our foundation as Christians. 
And um, when I teach on it, the, I teach that the mystery is a little different than just teaching straight who you are in Christ. You've you got to understand what the mystery is about because that's the foundation of who you are in Christ. So like in my book called The Mystery, I'm teaching on that. Then I have a, a book called In Christ. And I always tell people, read the mystery book first and then read the In Christ book second. But in the, in the mystery that Paul taught, for me in studying his letters to the church, um, I found that he, he's, he, he covered about seven different areas of, of, of our redemption in Christ. How that we were crucified with Christ, we died with him, we were buried with him, we were made alive with him, we conquered hell with him, we were resurrected with him, and we were seated with him in the heavenly places. Those seven areas, we as Christians, I like to say it this way, we need to get about three doctor's degrees in those seven areas. I don't mean you need to go to Bible school again, I mean study. You need to know that better than you know your own natural name. I mean, that, that is the backbone of Christianity right there. We need to, we need to know that backwards and forwards. That's what, we're, that's what our whole Christian life is founded in and established in, is especially those seven areas. And when you talk about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ isn't just about knowing knowledge of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. It's about, it's about identification. The word identify, if you look at my dictionary, it means to make identical, to consider or treat us the same. Remember 1 John 4, 17? Yeah. Yeah. As he is, so are we. There we go. That sounds like identification. There you go. Sounds like God is identified with Jesus. Now he's treating us like he treats Jesus. That's what the mystery is all about. It's about identification with Christ. See, Jesus, before we could be identified with him, though, he had to first identify with us. There'd be no identification if he didn't identify with us. And so when you study the mystery of Christ, that's what God revealed to the church through the Apostle Paul, especially through him, through the other writers too, but mainly through Paul. It is, uh, is, is if you're just studying Calvary just for uh, like a history book, then you need to get past that. You need to get past that. Because a lot more than that. You know, over in um, Galatians 2 verse 20, it says, Paul said this in the King James Bible. It says, um, I have been, you know this verse, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. But at the beginning of that verse, he said, I have been crucified. Now, in, um, just in my, my, I got a King James Bible up here. In regular King James, it says, I am crucified. I am crucified. What tense is that? That's present tense. I am crucified. Um, in some translations, it'll say, I was crucified with Christ. What tense is that? Past tense. The correct tense is really the way the New King James Bible translated. The correct tense is, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, this is really important. Um, you know, English wasn't my favorite subject in, in high school. I hated history and I hated English, but I love math and physics. And that's why originally when I went to college, I only went to a year before I went into the ministry, I was suddenly to be an electrical engineer. I wanted to make lasers, you know, and vaporize stuff and, 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 and blow up stuff. And, you know, be like Star Trek and Star Wars and that kind of stuff. And, uh, but, I, I um, we need to understand that I, I'm not, I don't teach English, but I, I, I do, I did, I, I, I checked on this tense there because it's really exciting. It's, it's called the perfect tense or the present perfect tense. And it means I have been crucified with Christ. So it's not, see, it's not I am crucified because I'm not crucified now. The old man still is. It's crucified and dead, but the new man I am is not crucified. I'm a new man. 
And it's not I was crucified, like that's, it was just something 2,000 years ago. It, when, the correct tense is I have been. I have been, it sounds like a mixture of present and past, doesn't it? I have been crucified with Christ. It's called the present perfect tense. But here's, what, here's the definition for the present, present perfect tense. It, this would make a good scripture in the Bible. The present perfect tense refers to a past completed action that has present finished results. A past completed action, in other words, something that did happen in the past, yes, and it was completed. Jesus obtained eternal redemption. It was, it was in the past, it was completed, but it's not just something that had in the past that, you know, what's that got to do with us today? It's a past completed action that has present finished results. That's why when I, a lot of times when I teach on this, I have a series on our YouTube channel, got a lot of videos on there, and um, they're all free to watch, but I have one series, a 20, 20, uh, 20 part series called Back to the Future. Remember that old movie with Michael J. Fox? If you never saw that movie, it's really good, you ought to see it, it's a fun movie to watch. But Michael J. Fox in the movie, if you remember it, his family was, I mean, he had a really messed up family at the beginning of the movie when it started. You know, very messed up, and he, he, his family needed a lot of help. And this crazy guy came to him with all the white hair, looked like he just stuck his finger in the wall socket, you know. He was a professor, you know, and, and, uh, and a scientist. And he developed this car that you can get in and go, go back into the past. And, uh, of course, uh, Michael J. Fox in the movie thought, well, you know, if I could go back into the past and change things with my family in the past and then come back into my present, it will change, it change my future from being in the past. That's why it's called back to the future. And I, I thought, man, that's perfect for, that's, that's what the mystery of Christ is about. See, when you go to the Bible and you study about uh, all the, especially in the epistles, about who you are in Christ, all that God did for you by his grace in Christ at Calvary, what you're doing and you're studying every day, you're going back to the past to study a past completed action. But when you go back there in, in, in your studies and studying the word of God every day, you're going back and studying what Jesus did, finished for us at Calvary, and when you believe what you're studying and start declaring that, it will end up changing your future. So you go back, every time you study these things every day, you're going back to the, past, to, to the future. You're going back to the future. So I have like 20 messages on there, about a half hour piece, about 10 hours of teaching on it. Well, I'm really teaching through a lot of my mystery book on it. But I, I like that name, going back to the future. Every time we get in the Word every day and, and believe what the Word says and declare the good thing we are in Christ, we're changing our present and our future. Uh, you're changing it. You're transforming it. You're transforming it. And keep, keep on transforming. You're, you're, you're continuing to change that. And see, we need, we need to understand that. But the, the, very, the very basis, the two keys that, that I, I like to say, the two keys that unlock the mystery of Christ, that really unlock our identification with Christ for us to understand it, are found over here in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at, look at um, verses um, 21 and 22 here. Paul said this, he's talking to the church at Corinth and all believers today, and he said, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, then in verse 22, the Holy Spirit identifies who those two men were. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Shall all be made alive. Now, when I teach on this, and I have longer to teach on it, because I teach on it like I, 
I, I taught on it Brother Norval Hayes Bible School for about 18 classes because it takes time because I really take my time and go, go through this. And um, I'm just pulling out different things in, in this tonight like I did this morning. Um, but I like to bring this out. I always say this, that the two most important men in the whole Bible was Adam and Jesus. And you're probably thinking, well, I know Jesus was, of course. I mean, he's a given. But the way most people would think, if I said, who, who, beside, who, who would you name as the second most important man in the Bible beside Jesus? I would dare say most Christians, they would say, well, they, they were thinking that they, the way they'd decide who that would be would be whoever had the most supernatural, miraculous, powerful ministry. So they'd probably pick Moses. Who's going to top that? All the signs in Egypt part in the Red Sea. I mean, that's, that's pretty good resume. Yeah. Yeah. That looks pretty good on your resume. Yeah, I, I part the Red Sea. You know, all this, that's, that's, that looks real good on your resume for your next job there. And, uh, of course, Elijah and Elisha. Sure. I mean, so, so many great men of God and women of God in the Old Testament. But, see, when I say that um, Jesus and, and Adam were the two most important men, it's not because they worked the most miracles. And they're the ones that flowed in the gifts of the Spirit more than anybody else. It's actually completely different than you're thinking. Adam and Jesus were the two most important men in the Bible because they're the only, the only two men that represented all of humanity. Think about it. Say, what about Abraham? He didn't represent all of humanity. There are people before him. They're the only two men in, in the Bible in history that represented the entire human race. Wow. The only two men. Yeah. Yeah. That meant whatever those two men did, whether good or bad, affected all of humanity. You and me, every human being ever born will ever be born on this earth. So it would pay us to find out what those two men did. Because they were representative men. What that means is, is that they identified with us. See, if Adam wasn't a representative man, when he ate of that fruit, and died spiritually, then we're done with him. It wouldn't matter. We'd all be fine. But because Adam was a representative man, then when he ate of that fruit and died spiritually, then those he represented also died spiritually. Say, so, well, well, then who, who would that be? All of humanity. He didn't just represent everybody in Europe, everybody in the United States. He represented all of humanity. Well, how do you know? Well, right here, we just read it. Look at verse 22. The Holy Ghost told us this, for as in Adam, how many die? All. all means all. To me, all means everybody. That's right. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So the bad news is, Adam, Satan through Adam messed up the whole human race. The good news is, the Holy Ghost through Jesus fixed the whole human race. <laughs> so they were the two most important men in the whole Bible. So you want to spend some time studying them. And that's why when you really have time to teach on the mystery, I... Um, there was a man that I knew, he's in heaven now, called Leon Stump. Pastor Leon Stump, um, he, he, he really kind of, um, at the end of his life, he started drifting away from um, things and, uh, and everything, but I, uh, hopefully, he got, I don't, I, hopefully he got everything straight before he left. But um, I don't know what all he was teaching later on. That's a whole other story. But at the beginning, when he was teaching this, he was like the, I considered him... Um, the, the greatest, what I call, in Christ teacher I've ever heard before. And he pastored a church out of Missouri. I think his son's pastoring his church now. And um, just a great man of God. And he, um, he taught on the mystery of Christ for 76 services in his church. 76 Sundays. 
He taught on that. And I, I got all 76 tapes, of course, and listened to them all. That was, goodness, 35 years ago. And, um, but the way he would teach it would, well, he'd take a whole service and just teach on what spiritual death is. Take another service and just teach on what eternal life is. Take another service and just teach on what it means to be an Adam. I mean, he really, opened, he really took his time and went just line upon line through and built the, and just developed the, this whole mystery of Christ out further than I've ever heard anybody build. Because you can't teach this, thoroughly teach it in one service. So, so it was, I just, I like the way he did that. So what you need to do is you want to take time to go study all these things. And watch what will happen as you do, it will begin to grow in you. And God will begin to show you more and more, it just keeps on expanding. You know, Fred Price, um, he said the word of God is pregnant, it's always giving birth to new revelations. All, you know, all the time. Costly all the time. But we need to understand about being in Adam and in Christ, because the Bible says in Adam all died. That means they died spiritually. And always remember this, you've got to always say this, because spiritual death does not mean to cease to exist. It has nothing to do with whether you exist or not. It has to do with who you exist with. There was a, a well-known minister, well-known TV personality. Um, you all know him. He, he, he's in heaven now. A great man of God, too. We're all learning. Nobody knows everything except Jesus. We're all learning. We've all made all, all kinds of dumb mistakes, taught the wrong thing, then had to correct it. And so we're all learning. But, um, I mean, no, he was really a very great, wise man of God. And he was taking questions on his TV program one day. And the, one of the questions came through, did Jesus die spiritually? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, well, of course not. How could God die? He would cease to exist. And I thought, that is the most ignorant thing I've ever heard him say before. If spiritual death means to, you, you don't exist, then when Jesus came to this earth, there were no human beings here. Nobody, everybody was spiritually dead after, before Jesus died and rose from the dead. That means humanity didn't, didn't even exist. The devil and his demons are spiritually dead. That means they don't exist. Nobody existed. So we didn't need a Savior because we didn't even exist. So that, that's just how, how you can be so intelligent like he was. You can be so spiritually intelligent in other areas of the Bible and so spiritually ignorant in other areas. I'm talking about all of us. You know, I know a lot more about certain subjects than I do about other subjects. But that just, that just kind of floored me because he, he's very spiritually, was very spiritually um, educated, intelligent, really, really knew the word. So that just amazed me that, that you know, uh, to me a three-year-old can know more than that. that. I just could not believe that answer. How could Jesus die spiritually? Because he had ceased to exist. Spiritual death doesn't mean you, whether you exist or not. It, deter, it, it defines who you exist with. If you're spiritually dead, then Satan's your father. You're separated from God. You live in the kingdom of darkness. If you're spiritually alive, then God's your father, and you live in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light. So when Adam, when it says all died, when Adam died, spiritual death came upon the whole human race. And spiritual death is spiritual. It's in your spirit, not in your mind or body. Now, the effects of that spiritual death or the nature of sin and death would be sickness, disease, poverty, lack, all the curse of the law. All that came on the human race too, but we need to remember that all that came on us because of that, because of spiritual death. So that means if you can get rid of that nature, what Paul calls the law of sin and death, if you can get that out of man's spirit, then that would cut off all the, all the consequences of it in the rest of man's life. So that's why after Adam, after Jesus, the devil messes up through Adam, God, God came up with the plan. 
Oh, he already knew the plan, but he came up with the plan on how to fix it. And I'm gonna and, and, it, and the Bible calls Adam Adam. It calls it calls Jesus the last Adam. Jesus is not the second Adam. Most ministers don't know that. They always say, you know, Jesus was the second Adam. You know, no, he wasn't. He's the last Adam. He's the second man. See, Adam was the first man to father the human race. Jesus was the second man to father a new race. A race of new creations. But Jesus was the last Adam. Now the reason he's called the last Adam, not the second Adam, is because the last Adam identifies the fact that what he did for us at Calvary is good forever. God will never have to have another Adam come because our redemption is going to run out in about 10 million years. So we're going to have to do all this all over again. So don't ever call Jesus the second Adam. Because all that's saying is you do not believe you have eternal redemption. Even if you're doing it ignorantly, Jesus is the last Adam. So that's a powerful name for Jesus. And when you say he's the last Adam, you're saying the interpretation for that, you're saying Jesus finished everything for me. It was a past completed action that has present finished results. He is the last Adam. So God came up with the plan and God had, see, if, you, if God could have come to me back in the Old Testament, let's say I lived back then and I know now, I, know, I, I, I knew then what I know now, which I wouldn't, but if I understood about these things that I'm teaching tonight back then, what I, what I needed in my life, and God came to me and said, I'm Almighty God and, and um, uh, Dwayne, I'm feeling good today, and I would like to grant you one request, you know, kind of like a genie, not three, I just want to grant you one request. So you might want to just take a little time and think about it. It doesn't matter how big it is, I'll, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. It wouldn't take me long at all. I wouldn't say, well, I need a new chariot. You know, uh, my house is falling apart. I need a new, new house. I'd say, God, you don't, don't, you don't need to go away. I already know what I need. Because I know why I'm in this mess. I got sickness, disease, poverty, lack. Everything's a wreck in my life. And I know it's because of that nature of sin and death that I got from Adam. And I know it's in my spirit, man, though. See, it's not in my body. So if I kill my body, it's not going to get rid of it. That's why people that commit suicide, that's totally wrong, but they have the right idea. Because a lot of times the reason they commit suicide because they mentally, the devil's convinced them that if you kill yourself, everything will be so much better. You'll get out of this mess you're in. And you won't, especially if you're not saved. It's going to be a worse mess. But see, I knew if I kill my body, that won't get rid of that spiritual nature of sin and death in my spirit. So I, say, I would say, God, I, my, my request, the, the greatest thing you can do for me is get me out of Adam. I have Satan's nature in my spirit of sin and death, and I can't reach into my spirit man myself and kill that and, 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 and remove it out of me and make me a new person. I can't do that. So if you could just, what I need you to do, God, is kill me. If you could just kill my, that, that, nature, my, that sin nature in my spirit, if you could get rid of that, boy, that would... That helped me tremendously. Because see, if you can get rid of that, then, I, then you just got rid of sickness and disease and poverty and everything else that came in through that nature. Then make me a new person. So God obliged us. And he sent Jesus to the earth. And I'd like to say it this way to get your attention. The main reason Jesus came to the earth at the very beginning was to kill everybody. <laughs> you know, a lot of times you'll say, you hear people, you know, Jesus came to save everybody. Well, ultimately he did. But he couldn't save you until he killed you first. See, God cannot resurrect you until you're dead. You can't resurrect somebody that's not dead. He can't make you a new creation until he gets rid of the old creation. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 
He couldn't give you his nature until he got rid of the devil's nature in you. He's not going to give you two natures. That's why you're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner, you got saved by grace. You have two natures. We're not schizophrenic. Right. Amen. As a Christian, you just got one nature. Amen. So Jesus, when he came to this earth, he came to kill the whole human race. That's what he came to do. And, 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 and I want you to get a greater revelation of that tonight. So turn over uh, to 2 Corinthians with me. I want us to look at a verse that you may not have given a whole lot of thought to. Very important verse over here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and um, verse 14. Now remember, we're reading verses from the man that Jesus personally taught the mystery of Christ to. Jesus personally taught it to him. He received it by direct revelation from Jesus to teach it to you and me today. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, Paul said this by the Spirit of God, for the love of God constrains us, that means controls us, motivates us, because we thus judge. In other words, we need to make this judgment today, like Paul did. We make this judgment. We make this declaration. We thus judge. Here's what it is, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now, I know you just heard me say that, and you see that in your Bible. But here's the way most Christians hear that in their mind when they read that verse. That if, and they know the one who died for all was Jesus, of course. Here's where they read that in their mind. If one died for all, then everybody got saved. That's not what it said, did it? No. It did say if one died for all, then everybody lived. Because, see, most Christians' understanding of Jesus' death was that it was more of a, that he was in, he was, he was in proxy for us. It was more of a vicarious death. In other words, they, they pictured Jesus down on the cross as if while he was down on the cross, I was at the mall shopping. In other words, they do not see Jesus there. They do not see themselves there when, with Jesus when he died on the cross. And the reason they don't see that is because they don't understand their identification with Christ. Remember the word identify means to make identical, to consider or treat us the same. See, Jesus identified with us. When he, came, when he went to the cross, he became our sin. He never committed sin. He became our sin. He identified with us. So he became our sin. And then God had to treat Jesus the same way he would have had to treat us. That's why Jesus had to die and go to hell and pay our penalty for sin, suffer in hell and rise from the dead. But after he did that, now, now God can identify us with Jesus in his life and his victory now. And now he can treat us like he treats Jesus now as the risen Christ. Man, that's exciting. Amen. That's fun to study. Yeah. But see, you've got to think about it. A lot of Christians don't like to think. They don't like to use their minds. They'll say, you know, I don't have my mind anymore. I have the mind of Christ. No, you didn't lose your other mind when you got the mind. You got, you got both of those. Yeah. We need to think about things. That's why a lot of Christians don't spend time in the epistles because you've got you to you concentrate and pray and, God say, and say, God, please teach me this. And they always go into the Old Testament and read the stories because you have to think on that. And we need to read over there too, but you know, when it says David took a stone and killed the giant. You don't have to, wow, what's that mean? You don't, have to, you don't have to concentrate on that at all. You don't have to say, God, please explain that to me. What's that mean he took a stone and slay it and killed the giant? You know exactly what it means. Face, it's clear as can be. Now God can give you other revelation out of the story, but then they go over to the New Testament and they go over like to Galatians 2 verse 20. Uh, if, that I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And they think, what in the world does that mean? Is he dead? Is he alive? Is he two different people now? 
I'm going back over here to David Cohen the Giant. That was, I understood that story. Because they may, when they get in the epistles, you may have to actually start concentrating. We have to start using our minds. And be, but that's the fun part. It's like a, almost like a spiritual puzzle, but the Holy Ghost will open up to you, and when he starts showing you things, he shows you how this fits with this, and this fits with this, and this is why he did this, and this is what you get now because of what he did back here. You get excited and say, man, I want to I learn this better because this is our foundation. Praise God. We need our faith. Over in Colossians, Paul said that, that, that our faith needs to be developed in the operation of God. We need our faith developed in the operation of God. That means in all that he did, in Christ for us at Calvary. We need our faith constantly being developed in that. Like I said, get about three PhDs in that. Keep on studying that. Keep on studying that. Now, when I talk about a lot of Christians, they, they only see Jesus' death as something vicarious or something he did in proxy. That means they do not see themselves there when he died. They just see that, yeah, he took care of that for me 2,000 years ago while I was off somewhere else, so to speak. But what the Holy Ghost is letting us see here, when he says, if one died for all, and we know that was Jesus, that if one died for all, then all died. See, all died in the one. That Right there, God is letting us know, when Jesus died on that cross and was crucified, you were right there in him. Right. You know, if, um, if we get an interview most Christians and say, what did you see when, at the crucifixion? They would say, I saw my, my wonderful Savior. I saw them nail him to that cross, and they nailed those nails through his hands and through his, through his feet. But you know, if we could take a microphone and go interview God and say, God, what did you see at the cross? You know what God would say? He would say, I saw them nail you to that cross. I saw them nail nails in your hands, and I saw them nail nails in your feet. I saw you hung up there on the cross. See, when you see what God saw, then you're understanding identification with Christ. But most Christians don't see what God saw. What you see in his death, well, I saw Jesus die on that cross. My sweet Savior died on that cross. And he did. But if you ask God, what did you see? He would say, I saw you die. Then I saw them bury you in a tomb. Then I saw you go to hell and suffer all of hell and, and suffer what, what you owed because of your sin. Then I saw the Holy Ghost go down into hell and make you alive from spiritual death to spiritual life. Now, all this, all this about you is all in Christ now. Because nat naturally, you weren't there. But because he was a representative man. Because he represented us, see, that means we got what he got. I always say, what those events at Calvary did for Jesus, they did for me. Since they did for me, then I want to find out everything. I want to, I want to know everything about all those events. I want to know everything about those seven areas, from, the, from crucifixion to the ascension. And, God, and then God will say, when, when, what did you see at the resurrection? I saw, I saw me raise you from the dead, and I saw me take you up into heaven, and I set you down right at my right hand in my throne room right there. That's identification with Christ. To make identical, to consider and treat us the same. Wow. God has made me identical now. Now God treats me the same way he treats Jesus. Jesus did it all. I didn't do squat. Neither did you. I didn't do a thing. But God did it all. And in essence, God said, I'm giving Jesus all the glory for this because he did it all. But I'm giving you all the credit for it. That's more than a conqueror, isn't it? You didn't even fight. I'm giving you all the credit. Wow. You see why I study this so much. I'm giving you all the credit. 
So now, you, but you, you, that's not going to, for that to be real to you like God sees it, you've got to know that when Jesus died, you died with him. Let me give you a good example. If my wife and I are at a big intersection, in a big city there's a big intersection, lots of traffic, cars moving, and, um, and we're about to cross the, the street, and this big old semi-tractor-trailer truck is coming down the road, and I, I start, you know, I step out, and I didn't see the truck, and my wife does, and, and she, she grabs me and pulls, you know, pulls me back in, but the truck hits her and kills her. Here's what people are going to say. Leah died to save Dwayne, her husband. Leah died to save me, or Leah died so that I would not have to die. That's the way most of the church today sees Jesus' death. If one died for all, then it was so we wouldn't have to die. What's that verse say again in verse 14? Does it say if one died for all, then nobody had to die? If one died for all, then all did die. So see, most of the church world sees, it, sees Jesus' death like that. That it's, like, it's like all of humanity is about to walk into the intersection and Jesus saw that truck coming. It's about to kill us. We were going to die. But Jesus jumped in the street, threw us all back into the grass, and the truck hit Jesus and he died. So we say Jesus died so we would not have to die. But that's not what, that's not what God is saying here. See, Jesus, get this, Jesus died so that we could die. Remember, we needed death. We needed somebody to kill that nature of sin and death in our spirit. We had to, somebody needed to kill that old man before God could make us a new man. We couldn't kill the old man in us. So really, if you want a correct analogy, the cross was like, it would be like Jesus got all of humanity and actually took us all out into the intersection with him so the truck could hit us all and kill us all. That's Calvary. Y'all see that? If one died for all, then all died. That's how important Jesus' death was. Praise God. The, let me read a couple of translations here. The Lawback translation says, The love of Christ controls us. We know that Christ died for all of us, so our old self died with him. That's how Jesus killed your old man, by, by providing death for your old man. He died. He represented you so you could die in him. That's why Romans chapter 6 says that we died with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says we were crucified with Christ. Romans 6 says we died with Christ. Romans 6.4 says we were buried with Christ. Oh, then, then you know, Ephesians 2.6, 2, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says we're made alive with Christ. Then we conquered hell with Christ. We were resurrected with Christ, ascended into heaven with Christ. Now, naturally speaking, we didn't do any of that stuff. I'm only 66 years old. I didn't live 2,000 years ago. But see, when you deal with representation, this is one of my test questions on my test. When you deal with representation, time is not a factor. Doesn't matter. Adam could have lived six million years ago. If he represented all of us and died spiritually, then we got it. Time's not a factor when you deal with representation at all. It doesn't matter. Because sometimes people say, why does God blame me for what one man did 6,000 years ago? I'm only 35 years old. See, they don't get it. They think, what's that got to do with me? That was, that, they, they think that he did that 6,000 years ago, that means it's over with. It doesn't mean anything now. It does when it, with represent, representative men. There's no, no, no time factor. No time limit on that kind of stuff. That's why when you find out what Jesus did for you, since he represented all of us, there's no time limit on it. You get back to that present perfect tense. It was a past completed action. It has present finished results. 
on and on and on and on forever and ever and ever. That's why he's the last Adam. We don't need a third Adam. Praise God. The Cornish translation says, I behold the love of Christ. I see in his one death the death of all of us already accomplished after the manner of his death. That's pretty good. If one died for all, then all die. It, it didn't say one died for all so all, all of us could live. No, he didn't, throw us, he didn't knock us out of the intersection and let the truck hit him. He pulled us into the intersection with him, so to speak, so the truck could kill all of us. He represented us. You know, that's why over in, um, in John, um, in, um, where, let, me, let me see if I can find that real quick for you. Over in the book of John, where it talks about if I be lifted up, Remember that? To John 8. Anyway, you, you, know, you know where he says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we, we have a song that we, we, we turn that into a song. We, 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 we think that song, and there's nothing wrong with the song, that you know, if you go out witnessing, you're lifting Jesus up and he'll draw all men unto you. But if you read the next verse down after he says that, it says uh, that, that when he talked about being lifted up, he was talking about his death. See, the Jews, the phrase being lifted up means crucifixion. It doesn't mean going witnessing. It means crucifixion. But listen, when the, 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 the Jesus told these religious leaders, they wanted to kill him, right? And he said, now, if I be lifted, they're thinking if we can kill him, we'll get rid of him, be done with him. Yeah, you would if he wasn't a representative man. But see, whatever you do to Jesus, see, that's what they didn't understand. Whatever you do to Jesus, you're doing to yourself. So when they said, if, if Jesus said, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men unto me. See, they didn't know that he was saying, when you lift, if when you lift me up on this cross, I represent you. I'm going to draw you on the cross with me. We're all going to die together on this cross. So you're not going to get rid of me. We're going to all die together. I'm going to, I'm going to kill that old man in you. I'm going to provide you with the death you needed, but you couldn't provide for yourself. And, and I, I'm going to kill that old man in you. And then when the Holy Ghost makes me alive from spiritual death to spiritual life, that's when I impart life into you. And you're going to become a new man in me from then on. Praise God. That's why we, you, you have to, in my book on the mystery, I spend more time talking about the death of Christ than I do the resurrection of Christ. Because most of the church world today, you're never going to get a, a reality of what it means to be resurrected with Christ until you're 100% convinced your old nature, that old man is dead. If you still think he's kicking, then you're going to always struggle in life. You've got to know that old man is dead and gone. I have a plaque somebody made me years ago because I was teaching this so much. Somebody made me a, a little plaque, embroidered plaque, and it says, among all of us who died with Christ, there were no survivors. Among all of us who died with Christ, there were no survivors. None of us survived the cross. Praise God. God got rid of that old man. He is dead and gone. He is finished. He's dead and gone. We don't have to put up with him anymore. We need to learn how to live like the new man now, don't we? Learn how to live like the new man. Now, let me, I want to talk about this just real quick, about Jesus' blood. We sang some good songs tonight, too. I like blood songs. I have a book called The Imposed Covenant back there, and um, the last chapter is entitled uh, Pleading the Blood. You know, we don't hear a lot of that like we used to old-timers. What we call the old-timers, they talk about pleading the blood all the time. 
Well, a lot of the church doesn't even talk about pleading the blood anymore, so I wrote a chapter on that. So I believe in pleading the blood. Jesus' blood is all-powerful. But, we, but I want to throw out another uh, thing at you to get your attention, that Jesus shedding his blood it was not enough to obtain eternal redemption for us. Did you know that? See, see how quiet it got in here? Because yeah. you're thinking. That's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm here to challenge you and to provoke you. To provoke you unto good works. But Jesus' blood alone was not enough to redeem us. Remember, over, turn over to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 over here real quick. Y'all awake? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yes. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says this. And almost, and almost all things, say almost all things. Almost all things. To me, that doesn't mean all, right? If almost, if I said you you mowed almost all my yard, would that mean you mowed it all? No, that means you must have left something unmowed, right? Okay. So almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Almost all things. And then he goes on to talk about the blood of Jesus here, and I'm not going to get into that because that's real good too. But the Bible says in Peter, that we're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb, not by silver and gold, but by the blood of Jesus. We have eternal redemption through Jesus' shed blood. But we need to understand something, because I'm, I'm talking about the importance of Jesus' death here. Because Jesus' blood is tied in with his death. See, if all Jesus did was just shed his blood, if that's all he needed to do to obtain eternal redemption, then, then God did Jesus a great injustice by having him go to the cross, I mean, put up with all the torture and suffering from man, had nails down through his hands and feet, and a spear stuck in his side, and then he had to go to hell and die, and, and suffer from the devil, paid our penalty for sin in hell, and I mean, God made Jesus go through a whole lot of stuff if that wasn't important. Right. If, if, if all of our redemption was just in the shedding of his blood, because you know, you don't have to die on a cross and go to hell to shed your blood. You can do that shaving. Right. If all Jesus had to do was just shed just, I have said that word just, just shed his blood to obtain eternal redemption for us, if that's all was necessary, didn't need his death or resurrection or sin into heaven to do any of that, then he could have just got, got a big crowd again and told Peter, you got your little pocket knife with you, Peter? Yeah, I want to borrow it just a second. Help me up on this big rock. He could have stood up on this big rock and, and, and said, hey, everybody, I'm going to redeem you. Just watch. Take that knife, cut his wrist enough, not to, not to kill him, just get a little bloodshed flowing and then stood there, and they could have watched his sinless, yes, sinless, perfect blood drip on the ground. And he could have said, I am redeeming you right now. Is that the way it works? See, you know to say no, that's not the way it works. Right. Most Christians say, oh no, but they don't know why though. He had to die, right? See, he had to shed his blood through death. What happened in the Old Testament? Remember, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament were types and shadows of what Jesus did, right? When they, when, when they offered the blood of animals, they, that animal always died, didn't it? See, when, when, they, when they had a, a, a sin sacrifice, where they had to have the shedding of blood of an animal, they didn't, they didn't have a special corral where they had this lamb. They, 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 they used the same lamb all the time. And they went and got the lamb for, for blood sacrifices. And he already had like 14 band-aids all over his legs. And they, you know, they, they need a little blood, so they, they took another niche on one of the legs, get a little blood, because blood has to be shed. Remember, if there's no shedding of blood, we just read that, you've got to have some blood shedding. 
And they, they used that for the sacrifice. So they put a Band-Aid on that and put him back in the, in the corral and kept on using him until he ran out of blood. No, the animal, they had to kill the animal, didn't they? See, blood had to be shed, yes, but it was always through death. All right, are you in ch still in uh, chapter 9 there? Yes. Look over at, um, look at verse 15. And for this cause, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, that by means of death, say death, death. for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal life. For where a testament, now he's going to talk about a testament. Testament is another way of talking about the covenant, about a will, right? We know what a will is. For, 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 he says, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the shedding of the blood of the testator. Didn't say that, did it? There must be the what of the testator. Testator is the one who wrote the will. There must be the death of the testator, right? For a testament or a will is a force after men are dead. Notice it didn't say, the will goes into force after the guy who wrote it sheds some blood. No. If my, if my dad sheds his blood shaven, his will doesn't go into effect for me. He's got to die. There's got to be a death, right. what I'm saying. Right. Got to be a death. So, so otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament or the first covenant was dedicated without blood. So yeah, there's got to be blood. Blood has to be shed. Jesus had to shed his blood. But, but listen, verse 19, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats, with water skull at will. How did he get that blood? Did he just make a nick on a leg and siphon a little blood? No, he killed those animals, didn't he? Right. See, blood has to be shed, but it has to be shed through death. You've got to have both of those things connected, or you don't have a sacrifice acceptable to God. And then after he got the blood through the death of the animal, then he sprinkled it over all the people. So there had to be a blood sacrifice to, through death. Matter of fact, I, I don't have time to get all into it, but um, you know the verse over in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, where um, there were people during Paul's day saying there's, there, there's no resurrection, Jesus didn't arise from the dead, there'll be no resurrection for us. And he brings, that, he, he brings that point out in verse 17, in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Jesus did not arise from the dead, then our faith is worthless and in vain and we're still in our sins. He didn't say if Jesus did not shed his blood, our faith is worthless. He, said, he didn't even say Jesus did not die. In other words, that verse is showing us how important the resurrection is. See, that's why I got another book on my table called Resurrection Witnesses, where I'm just talking about the importance of the resurrection there. Just nailing that really good there. But think about that verse. The Holy Ghost said if Jesus did not arise from the dead, we're still dead in our sins. That means if Jesus shed his sinless, perfect blood, he went to the cross. He went through all the suffering through the nails in his hands and feet and legs and the spirit aside. He died. He went down to hell and the devil tortured him for three days. Paid our penalty for sin, but he didn't rise from the dead. We would still be in our sins after doing all that for us. As powerful as the blood of Jesus is. Even as, as great as his death was. See, that's why I talk about these seven areas we had, Jesus had to do all those things. See, don't just, I just like talking about, studying about the crucifixion. No, you need to learn about the crucifixion, his death, his burial, his quickening, his conquering hell, his resurrection, and ascension into heaven. If he did not ascend into heaven and sit down, when he sat down, what did that show? That was a sign he did finish everything. So you don't want to just study the first three areas of the seven, 
or the last three areas, you need to study all seven areas of, of, of our redemption in Christ. Jesus had to do all of that, all that he had to go through, all those events to obtain eternal redemption for us. Praise God. And he did go through all those events. Now, if you would, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Y'all still with me? Oh, yeah. yes. we're, we're having a little Bible school here. Hebrews chapter 2 over here. I want to talk just a little bit more. Let your appetite just a little bit more. Hebrews chapter 2, verse, I want you to look at um, verse 14 over here. This is a powerful verse again. It says, For as much, now I believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Number one, because if you read all the rest of his letters, I mean, I don't know any other writer that, that wrote this depth of our redemption in Christ beside the Apostle Paul. Plus, I believe what Brother Hagin said Jesus told him because he personally asked him who wrote the book of Hebrews and Jesus said Paul did. You know, in, in the end of my uh, King James Bible here, at the, at the end of chapter of Hebrews, it says written by Timothy. No, Timothy didn't write Hebrews. I believe the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews. But in verse 14 it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, in other words, he had to, what, become a representative man. He had to identify, he had to become like we were so we could be like he is today. That's identification. That through what? Through death. No, it's not through his resurrection. We, well, I just talked about how important that is. I want you to see uh, even more how important the death was. All these areas, are, all seven of these areas are vitally important. We need to understand every single area just better and better every day. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now that to me, that shows you how powerful Jesus' death was. Jesus' death was so powerful, it says through death, it didn't say through his resurrection, he destroyed the devil. It says through his death he destroyed the devil. So that right there, that lets me know how powerful just Jesus' death was. So when I read a verse like that, I'm thinking, I want to find everything I can especially in the epistles that talk about Jesus' death. Just study all that. Then find everything I can to talk about his resurrection. See, that's, that's how you get it in you. You, 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 you. you expand it to every little detail. Get as detailed as you can and spend as much time as you can on that one little detail in the Word of God. When you feel like you've exhausted it, go to the next detail. Find every scripture you can on that. Well, yeah, that'll take a lot of time. You're right. We'll have to study, won't we? You, you don't do this, you know, in two hours. You do this, I've been studying this for, goodness, a long time, 45 years or so. And it's more exciting to me now than it, than it was when I started. God just keeps opening up more stuff. The more you study it, the deeper God takes you in it. It's endless. It's, it's, so, it's exciting. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Now, I like something. John G. Lake said this. Remember who John G. Lake was? Just... You know, awesome man of God. 100,000 recorded healings. You know, just in, what was it, Seattle? Was Seattle? Yeah, Seattle alone. 100,000 record, recorded healings. That's 20,000 a year in five years. And, and, you know, he knew something about his identification with Christ. And here's, here's what he wrote about Jesus' death. I, I, I want to just read this little paragraph to you. Because it just lets me know. See, a lot of people just see Jesus just he was just a martyr, you know. Again, they just see that was something he did vicariously for us while we were shopping at the mall. No, no, no. Listen to what John G. Lake said. He said, Jesus went into the grave 
not just as a martyr, but with divine boldness. He went into the grave as God's conqueror because he was after something. Jesus was after something. Remember, I needed death. I needed somebody that could provide death for my old man. And Jesus came to provide it by dying himself in my place. Talk about the love of God. See, you know, we, Paul, Paul calls it the mystery of Christ. I tell people that the mystery of Christ, another name is a revelation of God's grace and love for humanity is what it is. The better you understand the mystery of Christ, the greater revelation you're going to give to the grace of God. That's what it's all about. But he said he went after something. He went after the power of death and got it. He took it captive, came forth from the grave with the keys of hell and of death triumphant. Wow. That's what Jesus did. He went after something and he got it. And it messed the devil up because the devil, he couldn't understand how he could actually die like that and then come back to life and conquer the death. See, that's why if the devil had known, he wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But he, he, he didn't have that much understanding. He, he didn't play chess like God did. God already knew all the moves, all the moves way ahead of the devil. The devil thought he was so smart, but he wasn't. Now, that word destroy there in verse 14 in the Greek, just look it up in Strong's Concordance. The word destroy there actually is, um, here's what it means. It means to render entirely idle and useless, to make of no effect and to make void. To render entirely idle and useless, to make of no effect and to make void. Now, I really like, um, I like that whole definition, but I especially like the, um, the, the last part of it, to make void. Because I remember back when I was a kid, when I started getting a checking account, if I wrote a check and it bounced, I'd get it back from the bank. That's when they used to mail your checks back to you. I'd get, it, I'd get my check back from the bank, and it had, it had a void on it. Actually, it was a red void, which is kind of neat. You know, it was, I didn't think about the blood of Jesus at the time, but it was a red stamp. It said void on there. Well, that, that destroyed the power of that check, didn't it? How much could I get for that $10 check? Nothing is worthless. It's been voided out. Voided out. That's what that word destroy means. See, when I, I like to tell the devil this sometimes. I'll say, Satan, have you looked in the mirror yet? You might want to look at the mirror sometime because you've got a red void stamped on your forehead. <laughs> Jesus put that there 2,000 years ago. When he died and rose from the dead, he totally voided you out as far as my life's concerned. He rendered you powerless over me and the whole human race. You're going around with a red void stamped on your forehead all the time. So if you see the devil start laughing, he'll say, and he may say, why are you laughing? You look stupid with that red void stamped on your forehead, Satan. And then say, by the way, I did that to you. If you know your identification with Christ. It won't just be Jesus did that to you. You can say, by the way, did you know I did that to you, devil? Yeah, I'm going to stamp that on your head 2,000 years ago. I did it in Christ. When Jesus did it, I did it because I'm identified with him. To make identical, to consider or treat as the same. I stamped that red void on your forehead. So you might as well go ahead and leave or we're going to keep talking about it. But some people will say, some Christians will say, yeah, but you don't know... You just don't know how the devil's talking to me. I mean, I mean, it's like he's screaming to me. He's telling me all these bad things that he's going to do to me and wreck my life and my family and my marriage and everything. Well, that's like saying, you don't know how, how, much, how big this check was written for. Okay. 
What if we get what if we get a guy that can uh, that can afford it that writes a check for one billion dollars? Man, that check is screaming, isn't it? That's that's a big check. What if they stamp a void on it? Is it worth like a million, maybe? It's not worth a thing, isn't it? It doesn't matter how loud that check screams and talks. If if there's a void on it, it is worthless. So when the devil, you know, when the, I want to tell Christians, I don't care how loud he screams to you, what he tells you, no matter how wicked and awful it sounds, again, just tell him, you've got a red voice stamped on your forehead. None of your checks are any good for me. They're all worthless. They're all powerless. I have all authority and power over you now, devil. I'm your master now. In Christ, you do what I tell you to do. You don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. There you go. That's right. Amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we tell the devil what to do. I, um, I, have a, um, I, I have different, if you look up some different translations on that, and I, I, I won't go into it now because I need to go ahead and wrap this up. But some of them say that, 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 that Jesus rendered the devil inoperative. Um, one says he rendered the, rendered the devil unemployed. He rendered the devil powerless. And I just wrote, I put them all together and, and, and into a paragraph like this. Jesus rendered Satan's power over believers idle, useless, destroyed, brought to naught, ineffective, void, powerless, inoperative, annihilated, and unemployed. Now see, when we start talking like that, the devil won't hang around to hear what else you have to say. He doesn't like hanging around people that know who they are. That know they don't have to listen to him at all. He goes to try to find ignorant Christians. He likes to find Christians that will say, I just don't have time to read the Bible. I got 17 jobs, you know, and three wives and 14 kids, and I'm just so busy. And they're the ones the devil's just wrecking their lives. Because we got to get we got to get into this book and study these things out. Praise God, Hallelujah! I better stop. I'm, I'm just getting warmed up here. This we can go all kinds of places with this, but but we we don't have time. I'm not going to wear you out. The word of God is so good. So good. Praise God. That's why this will help you so much. The, the, the greater revelation and understanding you have of, of the fact that the old man is dead.